Hello and welcome to edition number 1864 of the Whitney Talking News which we're recording in the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney on Thursday the 20th of May. I'm Peter Bean, I edited this edition and beside me at the recording controls is Peter Brading. Now this week we've got items from Whitney, Chipping Norton, Witchwood Forest, Bryce Norton, Cholbury and many other areas that we deal with. And they're about the easing of the lockdown of course, the new council, recording the dawn chorus and many more. Our two readers this evening are Anne Crawford and Nigel James. So, Anne, let's have our first story about the easing off of the lockdown. Yes, the headline is Soul of Pub Returns as Rules Relax. The pubs and restaurants of Whitney were given the go-ahead to reopen indoor areas on Monday under plans to ease England out of lockdown. It was good news for people who had been shivering in pub gardens since April the 12th, sipping pints and trying to grab a bite to eat. Luke Champion, co-owner of Hollybush and the Horseshoes in Corn Street, said, It's great to feel the soul of the pub come back with the sound of service and people enjoying our lovely food. We're really busy with lots of bookings for the weekend, but still room for walk-ins. The team are buzzing to have full and busy pubs again. Nick Matthews, general manager at Ye Old Cross Keys, said, It's a really exciting time as we start to reopen after months of closure and we can't wait to see the smiles on our customers' faces. But he added, However, to really start to bounce back as a pub and a wider industry, we will need all restrictions to be lifted in Stage 4 of the Government Roadmap. Customers can order drinks from their tables via staff members or the Green King app, but can order from the full menu as soon as doors are open. They're being encouraged to book to guarantee the table, but walk-ins will be accepted. David Cumberledge of the police in Church Green said, It's a big difference to be able to welcome our guests back inside. We've been overwhelmed with the support we've had since April 12th. Fun as it's been at times, wrapping guests up in blankets and hot water bottles, it'll be nice to say, come inside. And Nigel, you're continuing with the lockdown story, aren't you? Yes, I am. And this story is headed, New Methods and Freebies Greet Diners. McDonald's reopened its Whitney branch for indoor dining on Monday. During lockdown, the fast food chain had only been offering delivery and takeaway. It is prioritising safety by taking a staggered approach to opening its doors and spaces. Restaurants are reopening with table service only, meaning diners must order via an app before meals are brought to them. Pizza Express, which has a branch in Market Square, opened 143 restaurants for alfresco dining in April and has now reopened 374 branches for indoor dining. It is the first time all of its branches have been opened since the first lockdown in March last year. To celebrate, it's giving away bottles of Peroni, or non-alcoholic alternative, at its pizzerias, with a voucher download from its website. The offer is valid from Thursday till Sunday until June the 20th. The restaurants are returning with a distance layout and hand sanitizer stations. The reopening comes as research has revealed that you're most likely to get a seat at a pub in West Oxfordshire. West Oxfordshire has the 10th highest pubs-to-people ratio in the UK – with only 1,054 people to every pub in the area, meaning customers are more likely to get a seat. These are the rules in this new stage. Groups of up to six or two households of any size are allowed inside. Groups outside can be of up to 30. Landlords must make sure all customers over 16 check in with the NHS track and trace or provide contact details. People still need to order, eat and drink while seated anywhere that alcohol is served. When not seated, being shown to a table or going to the toilet, customers must first wear face coverings. 
Social distancing between groups is encouraged. Jezza is right about Chippy. Conservative County Councillor Liam Walker tweeted praise for a column by Jeremy, Jeremy Clarkson in the Sunday Times in response to Labour taking Chippy Norton from the Tories in the elections. Mr Clarkson wrote, Yep, my hometown has become communist. I know that for most people a socialist victory in what's been called David Cameron's backyard does look a bit odd. The only thing that's read round here is men's trousers. Mr Clarkson wrote, Chipping Norton is a town in a state of some distress, with many shops, the police station and hospital gone, but he wrote, the pubs in outlying villages serve boned quail, and most people who live in the town are knocked over by a Range Rover about six times a day. He said rich people had moved in in great numbers, and this has annoyed the locals, who responded by voting Labour again. Mr Walker tweeted, Hits the nail on the head. Don't worry, we will turn chippy blue again. Headed, meet the new Lib Dems leader of Oxfordshire County Council. The woman who is set to become the new leader of Oxfordshire County Council in a matter of days has been announced. Liz Lefman, councillor for Chalbury and Witchwood, was elected as leader of the County Liberal Democrats at a meeting on Saturday morning. It comes just as the Lib Dems are set to take over leadership of the County Council in a coalition with the Greens after the Conservative Party, which was previously in power, lost several seats at the local election. Speaking after her appointment, she said, I'm delighted to be taking up this important role at a vital moment of change and renewal in our county. I look forward to leading our talented and committed group of councillors to deliver our vision to working closely alongside all those who share our priorities and determination to succeed and do better. Above all, we have been elected to deliver for all the residents of Oxfordshire, and that is what we will do. First elected to the County Council in 2017, Miss Lefman is also District Councillor in West Oxfordshire. She became interested in politics as debate over the Iraq War gripped the UK. She has also stood as the party's MP candidate for Whitney against former Prime Minister David Cameron. Miss Lefman was called an inspirational leader by Lib Dem's outgoing group leader. Richard Webber, who stepped down on Saturday after eight years in the role, added, I'm thrilled with the talent and energy of the new Liberal Democrat County Council group. As the leader of the County Council, Miss Lefman will now ultimately be in charge of looking after roads, education, social care and waste disposal in the county, as well as public libraries and some museums. Following their success over the Tories on May the 6th elections, the Lib Dems pledged that these days of a lazy, muddled, ineffective government for Oxfordshire would be over. The group also voted in Councillor Neil Fawcett as its deputy group leader, a role previously held by Miss Lefman. In a joint statement, the new group of Liberal Democrats county councillors said that change is coming. It's based on addressing the climate emergency emergency stronger for the pandemic and rebalancing economic growth so that it serves our communities better, playing our full part in a national and regional policy and governance, sorting out transport and restoring support for young people and the vulnerable in a marginalised society. Health boss warns COVID still a risk for population. A stark warning has been issued by Oxfordshire's public health boss, as restrictions are eased. People are being urged to familiarise themselves with the new National COVID-19 Roadmap rules that came in on Monday, so that they are aware of what they can and cannot do. The series of changes came into force despite a spike in Indian variant cases. Public Health England figures show it has spread three times faster than other important strains and is now dominant in several COVID-19 hotspots in the northwest of England. Anzvar Azhar, Oxfordshire County Council's Director for Public Health, confirmed that local cases had remained low 
as the vaccination programme is rolled out. However, he added, that the virus had not completely disappeared and that there were still large parts of the population who had not yet been given their jab. The third lifting of restrictions since the nation began emerging from lockdown in March sees all but most high-risk businesses reopen indoors and socialising inside permitted again. Indoor hospitality has restarted. Indoor entertainment has also resumed, including cinemas, museums and children's play areas. Hotels, hostels and B&Bs are now able to take guests again and overseas holidays are permitted for some countries, those with low levels of Covid, such as Portugal and Iceland. Weddings are allowed to have up to 30 people attending and funerals can have as many as the venue can safely seat with social distancing rules applying. Other events, such as christenings and bar mitzvahs, can also go ahead. People can meet outdoors in groups of up to 30, and socialising indoors will be allowed in other people's homes in groups of six or a maximum of two households. Mr Azar said the roadmap was drawn up with a gradual and cautious easing of restrictions in mind. When combined with the vaccination programme and twice-weekly symptom-free rapid testing, it was seen as a careful way of reducing COVID-19's habit of being the comeback kid, as we saw in September and October and also in January this year. The virus still presents a real risk particularly with the emergence of new variants, so we need to do everything we can to control the spread. We would therefore ask people to please continue to wear face coverings, keep a distance and wash your hands, the simple things that help so much. Our next story is five injured in late night crash on A40. A 58-year-old man was left fighting for his life in hospital after a crash on the A40. Two air ambulances flew to the scene near Burford on Friday night, where five people were injured. The road was closed all night as forensic investigators worked on the road to piece together what happened between three cars and a trailer. The incident is understood to have happened between 9.30 and 10pm. An hour later at 11.24, Gloucestershire Police Specialist Ops tweeted... The A40 between North Leach and Burford is closed due to a serious road traffic collision involving multiple vehicles. It is likely to be closed all night. We cannot give any indication as to when it will reopen. A significant diversion was put into place from Cheltenham towards North Leach roundabout on the A429 towards Stowe Hill and then right onto the A424 to Burford where drivers could rejoin the A40. At 8.15 on Saturday, all the vehicles had been recovered, but highway staff were still clearing up the road, which they said was incredibly slippy and potentially hazardous to a large amount of fluids. Thames Valley's new police and crime commissioner has promised to crack down on travellers camping illegally on private land. During one of his first interviews, hours after landing the £86,000 a year job, Matthew Barber said he will be working with local authorities to find transit sites where groups can be asked to move to instead of setting up um, to camp on private land. He said you get a huge amount of prejudice with that community and if they choose to live a nomadic lifestyle, then that's fine. He added that police haven't had many powers to move people in vehicles off private land, but the new police bill will see a huge shift in what they can and can't do. The 300-page bill has been controversial across the country, with people marching to defend their right to protest. As part of the new police powers, officers could have more authority to stop groups like Black Lives Matter and Extinction Rebellion, from protesting on the streets. Mr Barber, who says he has personally protested while a youth at Brunel University, and that irrespective of party politics, he would always defend the right to protest. 
He said the Thames Valley area, and particularly Oxford, had had seen big protests, including a campaign demanding the removal of the Cecil Road statue from Oriel College. He said there police had a presence to reassure the public, and police also had a reserve presence for if there were any, was any trouble from the protesters or a counter-protest. In Thames Valley, we have a really good record of using proportionate force. Some people are very excited about the bill and the example of the public nuisance carrying up to 10 years in prison. But under common law, that is already punishable by a life sentence. Regardless of my party, I wouldn't support a bill that stops protest. But this is simply addressing tactics. The 40-year-old father of two said he plans to be more hands-on in the role than his predecessor, Anthony Stansfield, whose final day in office is today, before he retires. He explained, it's not a criticism of Anthony, but I've always tried to make sure I meet officers on the ground and in ride-alongs. I get to see officers and I think that's incredibly important. You get to know things that you wouldn't get from a report. Things to challenge senior officers about and details of what is going on from the ground. On getting more officers, Mr Barber said he planned to keep lobbying the government on funding and how the money is allocated. He said, you have a police budget of X million pounds and that's divided up into the police forces using a formula created in the late 90s. That formula has been reviewed and tweaked, but never redone. And now a completely different story. Drummer records Dawn Chorus as a boost to mental well-being. Lawrence Loz Colbert of Oxford band Ride has made recordings of the Dawn Chorus in an ancient forest for this year's Mental Health Awareness Week. Drummer Mr Colbert and fellow sound artist Richard Bentley rose at 3.30am on May the 2nd, International Dawn Chorus Day, to travel to Singe Wood near Hayley and Wigwell Nature Reserve in Charlbury to capture the sounds. Ride was one of the most influential bands of the early 90s and Mr Colbert has been interested in situations with microphones since he was a child. He has lately explored the relationship between sound and architecture as part of a PhD at Oxford Brooks. Mr Bentley creates engaging sound works for clients, including Crisis and Nature Nurture, and is currently producing slow media for mental health patients and arts workshops for intensive care staff. Both sites they visited were once part of the ancient royal hunting forest of Witchwood. Recording the bird song gave the artists a rare opportunity to get close to nature. Mr Colbert said, In the dark, I began to hear the sound of two deer barking. The natural reverb that carried their sounds across the wood was incredible. Not being able to see the source of the sound made it even more powerful. In the dark, on your own, Conspicuous in every step you you take, your senses are heightened. Maybe there's a sense of primal uh, echolocation that exists within all of us. But on hearing this reverb, we get a real sense of where we are. Mr Bentley added, I was accompanied by a rather large and very curious badger who sauntered across the bridge to see what I was up to. My closest encounter to date. Mental Health Awareness Week runs until May the 16th, and this year's theme is Nature and Mental Health. Miranda Davis, Communications and Events Officer at the Witchwood Project, said, A full-throated dawn chorus is one of nature's most miraculous sounds. We felt it was important to share this restorative soundscape as widely as possible, because it's one of the wonders that we're working to preserve and can really benefit well-being. Oxfordshire is currently suffering a startling decline in wildlife, according to Wildlife Oxfordshire. The state of the nature in Oxfordshire in their 2017 report. The county's curlew, snipe and redshank populations decreased by more than 50% from 2005 to 2015. 
and willow-tit populations are falling, possibly due to a loss of traditional practices, such as coppicing. This year's RSPB's Garden Bird Watch recorded the lowest ever number of chaffinches and greenfinches. But there is some good news. Finch populations at Foxborough Wood in Whitney have soared since the Witchwood Project took it over in 2012, and bitterns recently returned to breed at the RSVP's Otmore Reserve after a two-century absence. Now three pieces of news in brief. Diversion for cars after high-severity collision. Emergency services closed part of the A40 after what was described as a high-severity crash. Thames Valley Police said there had been an incident between Ensham Roundabout and Tesco Petrol Station on Sunday morning. Traffic was reportedly moving slowly for several hours after a diversion was put in place through Ensham. Photographs of the incident, which was marked as high-severity, showed a black Nissan car mounting a red Skoda's bonnet. It's not known if anybody was injured. A cricket club has announced a sponsorship deal with a Skylight firm. The third and fourth eleven of Shipton under Witchwood Cricket Club will be sponsored by the Rollwright Light Company from next season. Club treasurer Howard Voisey said, we're delighted to have secured a partnership with such a successful local company based in the village. And Deliveroo is launching in Whitney, in Ducklington and Ensham. Favourites, favourites from Pizza Express and Subway, along with the local like Habib's Kitchen and Poby Bakery and retailers like Co-op and Majestic Wine, are now available to order. To mark the launch, it is offering up to a 1,000 customers £10 off their first orders. The company is looking for more restaurants to sign up. War Memorial given Grade 2 listed status. A war memorial in Oxfordshire has been awarded Grade 2 listed status. The memorial at Bryth Norton was erected as a testament to the 18 men from the parish who died in the First World War. Following the Second World War, a further inscription was added to commemorate a a victim of that particular war. Now the memorial has received a special protection following work by the parish council. Claire Stewart, a councillor who also serves at RAS Bryce Norton as an air loadmaster, said, It's been a council-led initiative and we identified it as something really important to the community. We utilise the memorial on Remembrance Day and the children make poppies every year, so it's important to remember those from the parish. There's connections to the men and boys on the memorial in the community, even to this day, and a huge connection with the RAF base and military community we have. It's taken six to eight months to get to this point. We did research, applied to Historic England, and we've been in touch with the Imperial War Museum as well. We're very proud as a council of this, It's nice to have a bit of good news for the community and the memorial is now listed as it should be. Following the First World War, tens of thousands of memorials were created across the country. In Bryce Norton, the memorial was erected by Messrs Knowles and Son of Oxford between 1919 and 1920. Two of the 18 Bryce parishioners who died in the First World War, Frank Locke and Thomas Powell, also have private monuments in the extension to the Sybaritis churchyard. In November 2014, a row of 18 poplar trees were planted at the Bryce Norton Recreation Ground, alongside a memorial plaque. The same 18 gave their surnames to streets of the Bryce Norton Meadow housing estate. Outlining reasons why the memorial has been granted Grade 2 listed status, Historic England said, Architecturally, it's a good quality example of a popular form of war memorial with detailed ornamental stone carving. Two adults and a young child were left relatively unscathed by a car crash. Crews from fire stations at Burford, Carterton and Kidlington attended the two-car collision in Monaghan Way, Carterton, on Tuesday last week. 
Crews worked with South Central Ambulance Service to rescue a trapped adult by removing the car roof. The fire service reported another adult and young child managed to get out of the vehicle relatively unscathed. And now to a more cheerful um, item. Music Festival will go out live over the airways. The biggest music event in Whitney's calendar is going live online, with festival goers invited to come together on the airwaves to enjoy local music and boogie. Whitney Music Festival will be broadcast on YouTube, Windrest Radio, music streaming service Mixcloud and video live streaming service Twitch this year. Whitney Music Festival Reconnecting will be hosted by Simon Oliver on Windrush Radio on Saturday the 12th of June from 4pm until late, with guests joining him through the day. There will be specially performed music tracks and interviews to reconnect Whitney people to the local music scene after lockdown, even though it will not be face-to-face or shoulder-to-shoulder. In pre-COVID times, the Lee's Recreation Gown has been transformed into a field of fun, drinking and music and festival. Last year it was cancelled due to the pandemic, but in 2019 it was estimated it drew a record-breaking crowd of more than 15,000 people. This year, organisers say they aim to give music lovers and musicians as close to a festival experience as possible over the airwaves, whilst raising funds for future festivals. The three organisations running it, Windrush Radio, uh, Charity, Guideposts Trust and Whitney Music Festival, are at the heart of the town and want the free event to reach a diverse range of people, as many as possible. Windrush Radio works with many local organisations, from Whitney Pride to the Whitney Beer Festival, and over the past year has drawn the town closer together with their daily Covid roundup. Meanwhile, Guideposts Trust works to ensure that people can be connected to their community and achieve their potential regardless of their circumstances. It recently launched Better Connected, a programme providing connection with activities for people with learning disabilities and autism. Whitney Music Festival Reconnecting is setting a target of raising £10,000 to put on an in-person event in 2022 and create the festival's first special educational needs and disability send VIP area with extra space and support. Guideposts Better Connected coordinator Amy Pells said, to experience a festival in person is something many of the people we support wouldn't be able to do without a dedicated VIP area. Local pubs and venues and businesses are supporting the festival's return with many playing the live stream and offering festival takeaways. And now for this week's Editor's Reflection, a short extract from Julie Godson's book On This Day in Oxfordshire. And the day referred to is the 21st of May 1947. And it says that on this day, the Oxfordshire-born author Flora Thompson died, best known for her semi-autobiographical trilogy about the English countryside Lark Rise to Candleford. Thompson was born Flora Jane Timms in Juniper Hill in South East Oxfordshire. She was the eldest child of a stonemason and nursemaid. The young Flora's early education was at the parish school in the village of Cottesford, where she was described as altogether her father's child. In 1891, at the age of 14, Flora took up a position at the post office in Fringford, a village about four miles from Bicester, under postmaster Keziah Witten. And then in 1938, she sent off some essays on her country childhood to Oxford University Press. They were accepted, and they were published in three separate volumes. Lark Rise in 1939, Over to Candleford in 1941, and Candleford Green in 1943. And then in, 18, in 1945, the books were republished as a trilogy under the title Lark Rise to Candleford. The trilogy is a lightly disguised story of the author's own youth, describing life in a hamlet 
a village and a country town in the 1880s. And some of you enjoyed the production they did on BBC a few years ago. And now it's time for this week's notice board. And uh, we've got uh, no birthdays that have been recorded for the coming week. But a big thank you to Mrs Colbeck for your very kind donation. And now it's time for quiz. And first of all, we'll go to last week's quiz answers. Question one was, which city is located in both Europe and Asia? Istanbul is the answer. Or Constantinople as it once was. Question two. What is the oldest recorded town in the UK? I didn't know this one. And it is Colchester. Question three. Which European country shares its border with the most neighbours? And the answer is Germany. And question four. What's the smallest country in the world? Vatican City. And finally, what is Scotland's fourth largest city by population? And the answer was Dundee. And now it's time for this week's quiz. Again, another five questions, which I'm sure you'll all cope with. Question one. In which European capital city are the Tevely Gardens? Question two. Which English novelist wrote Brideshead Revisited? Question three. What colour is the starboard light on a ship? Question four. What was made and sold by a Fletcher? And finally, question five. What type of book would be written by a lexicographer? Answers next week. Now, we are sad to announce a quite a large number of deaths for the coming week uh, that have been recorded in the past week in the, in the Whitney Gazette. There <clears> are <throat> ten of them all together. Firstly, on the 2nd of May, Kerry Roxburgh, aged 41. And on the 5th of May... Ivy Joan, known as Bubbles Godfrey, aged 81, from Ducklington. And Claire Hayes, aged 78, from Kerbridge. Now, Claire was a very good supporter of the Whitney Talking News. She was formerly the head teacher of Bryce Norton Primary School and was one of our readers for many years. So, sad news there. Um, next, Denise Anne Hathaway, also on the 5th of May, of Carterton. On the 10th of May, Doreen Beryl Martin, aged 97, of Whitney. And on the 11th of May, George Frederick Tooley, aged 82. On the 7th of May, that was on, now, now on the 12th of May, Keith Woodward, aged 71, of Whitney. On the 13th of May, Alison Pitt, aged 54, of Whitney, and Kim Giles, aged 83, of Minster Lovell. And finally, on the 14th of May, Lynn Burrett, aged 68, of Carterton. And Lynn was a very, very good supporter of Whitney Talking News and one of our stalwart volunteers for many, many years. And, of course, our sincere condolences to family and friends of the deceased. And, finally, there's a nice notice in the Whitney Gazette about a forthcoming golden wedding. And our congratulations go to Susan and Roger Dix, who will be celebrating their golden wedding in this coming week. And uh, husband Roger, who put the notice in the Gazette, adds to it, about his wife, you deserve a medal. <laughs> that ends this week's notice board, and we go on to the final, I think, six or seven items of news that we've got left. 
Brand the Bus Competition, launched for 2022. Oxford Bus Company has launched its annual Brand the Bus Company competition for a local charity or good cause to have its branding on a double-decker. Entries are now open for good causes or its supporters to submit a short video or PDF presentation on why it should win the brand The Bus Competition and secure the unique livery. The winner will be in good company among the growing fleet of buses already branded with good causes. Girl Guiding Oxfordshire won the inaugural 2019 Brand the Bus Competition. Homestart Oxford scooped first place in 2020. And Blue Sky Thinking won the 2021 contest. Abingdon Riding for the Disabled Association was also awarded the space on the back of a bus as runners-up in 2021 competition. The 10 entries for 2022 that are deemed best according to public vote will be shortlisted and examined by a judging panel. The deadline for Brand the Bus entries is September the 30th. To enter, visit the contest website at oxfordbus.co.uk backwards slash competition. The headline for our next story is Holiday Home for Autistic People is Ready to Open. A holiday home exclusively for people with autism is being launched after more than £40,000 to fund it was raised. The two-bedroom mobile home near Whitney opens this week after public donations help get it set up. The home at Hardwick Parks in Standlake is being run by Autism at Kingwood, which opened a new service in Whitney last year. Available to autistic people supported by Autism at Kingwood, their families and staff, the first guests at the holiday home is Hannah and her support worker. Philippa Stannard, Head of Fundraising and Communications at Autism at Kingwood, said, We are so grateful to the many funders who have made our holiday home a dream and reality. The timing for this opening couldn't be better, as many autistic people we support have experienced heightened anxiety and loneliness during the past year of lockdown. The rural and tranquil setting of Hardwick Parks is the perfect spot for us, as the autistic people we support live across the Thames Valley. As well as providing a holiday solution for autistic people who often miss out on a break, the home is available for families of those we support, as well as our incredibly hard-working and caring support staff. In total, £40,985 was raised for the holiday home, with fundraising coming to a close in December. Since then, a path and parking space have been installed, as well as decking. Donations came from individual companies and charitable foundations. Some, along with families supported, were invited to the opening celebration. Spending penny in district toilets made up to nearly £1,000. West Oxfordshire District Council made just under £1,000 from charges at two public toilets during the pandemic, according to a new survey. New data by Payment Sense, which makes contactless payment technology, indicated that the earnings from the two public toilets on the Lees Park in Whitney between March 2020 and March 2021 was £878.55. The company looked into how much consumers had coughed up to use the toilets during COVID. It analysed the public toilets around the UK to find out which councils kept theirs open during the pandemic and how much was made from each. Their study said the Lees is a popular place with people coming from afar. The toilets there cost 20 pence to use. During the pandemic, shopping centres and some buildings had to close their toilets to the public due to hygiene concerns. This led to people paying for council-owned toilets whenever they needed the loo when they were out and about. Payment Sense asked councils across the UK 
about their public toilets. Some 203 councils replied, with 12 confirming that they do have a charge in place. Payment sense asked them the names of the parks, how much money each trip to each toilet uh, in each location cost. The total amount made between March 2020 and March 2021, and how much money was collected altogether. It then asked if these toilets offered cash or contactless payment options. Our next item is headed, School celebrates its rapid raising of £3,000 to put up a new canopy. Clanfield C of E Primary School is celebrating after raising the cash to pay for a much-needed fixed canopy in a month. The canopy gives extra space for the children to play and learn during the pandemic. The school made an appeal to the community for help after a year spent trying to raise the money to pay for the shelter themselves. In the end, they posted an appeal and created a page on school's crowdfunding site, Donate My School. It showed a picture of a destroyed gazebo, which they'd been using after it was kindly lent by a neighbour. The appeal described it as broken and unfixable. The gazebo was ruined following storm damage. The school wrote, Imagine the faces of the children when they arrived into school to find this. It meant that during the pandemic, when fresh air is recommended, years one and two were unavailable, were unable to do some of their activities outside and much needed additional space was lost. The appeal said, Our five and six-year-olds are now without a covered area and without shelter, they will be unable to read, paint or work in small groups. It was then that the school decided to launch the community fundraiser. Head teacher Kim Rogers said... We'd been saving up for the last year, but we were a long way off our £3,000 target. Our PTA, Friends of Clanfield School, have continued to raise money throughout lockdown, but due to the pandemic, they've only managed to raise a quarter of the typical funds they would normally raise in the school year. However, after posting the Donate My School page and spreading the word in and around Clanfield, to their great surprise, their generous friends, neighbours and local businesses donated the total £3,000 in one month. Much of the money was donated anonymously. The school is now thinking of having a grand opening so they can celebrate with some of the donors. Mrs Rogers said, I would like to say a very big thank you to all our community friends, visitors and local businesses who supported this cause. She added, it has transformed this sad little area into an inspiring space which has given some of our youngest pupils the opportunity to be learning all day, every day. Teachers welcome the canopy because it not only allows a lot of light into the area, but can be used as a breakfast space and for lessons as well as a shelter. A 1953 Oxford male turns up in the USA. A US fan of the Oxford Mail has shared a treasured copy of the newspaper given to him by his father, which commemorates the Queen's coronation of 1953. Doug Struby of Port Hope, Michigan, has an addition that hit the newsstands on June 2nd, 1953, when his father was stationed at RAF Bride Norton. He said, I do believe he kept that issue due to the once-in-most-people's-lifetime event that had taken place. It wasn't just another news day. He brought the paper back home to Cincinnati, Ohio, as a souvenir. I remember seeing it as a child, but not really understanding the historical significance of it. Mr Struby said he had read the newspaper from front to back a few times. But most of the issue is coronation heavy, he said, with some fascinating pictures. The USAF formally accepted control of REF Bryce Norton on April 16th, 1951, before the Royal Air Force took back control on April 1st, 1965. Mr Struby said he was unsure about his father's precise role in the base. He recalled, the base went from RAF control to USAF Europe in about 1950, and then control was transferred to Strategic Air Command, arm of the USAF in 1952. 
According to the memoirs of my father, he was attached to a special weapons unit at Bryce Norton while he was under strategic air command control, and not surprising since it was a SC, SAC base, I have no unit number, wing number, nothing. He said, I'm not saying that his role was classified, but a lot of SAC information still is to this day. All he ever told me was that he was a staff sergeant in the USAF. Anything else, I've had to con- con- connect the dots myself, so to speak. Mr. Struby and his father spoke fondly of his time in England and enjoyed the Brits' uncanny knack for understatement and sarcasm. The Oxford Mail is moving offices, so we asked him not to send the physical copy, but said we would immortalise it in an article about it and its journey. Mr Struby, who is a heating and cooling service technician, said he got in touch because I'm 60, I'm not 40, I'm closer to the end than the beginning. I wanted to make sure that it was left in good hands and quite frankly, I couldn't think of a better recipient than the Oxford Mail. Getting it back to England was always the end game. He added that he and his wife, Jeanette, would love to visit Britain. Six more years and I'll collect retirement benefits from Uncle Sam. I've always wanted to get over there. It's still on the bucket list. And now we come to a tribute to editor who covered pub bombings. Stuart Woodcock, formerly programme organiser at BBC Radio Oxford, has died. He was 74 and had been suffering from chronic obstructive pulmonary disease for several years. Mr Woodcock was appointed news editor at BBC Radio Birmingham in 1970 and was in the role at the time of the Birmingham pub bombings in November 74. Six men were arrested and later convicted, but the convictions were overturned in 1991. Mr Woodcock remembered hearing a deep boom in the distance, followed by a phone call telling him to get into the city. IRA bombs had exploded at the Mulberry Bush and Tavern, the town pubs in the Bullring Centre, killing 21 people and injuring 182 others. Mr Woodcock played a significant role in the local, national and international media coverage. Stuart Woodcock was born in 1946 in Crook, County Durham. His father, William, from Whitney, worked at Prestil, and his mother, Eleanor, came from County Durham and worked in services at various posts, including Eton College, and after the war they moved to Whitney. Stuart attended Whitney Grammar School and, after leaving in 1963, secured his first job as a trainee at Midland Bank in Shipson-on-Stour. Then he had a change of career and became a trainee reporter with the Wilts and Gloucestershire Standard. When the West Oxfordshire Standard started, Stuart moved to Whitney to join the newspaper and later he joined Colin Fenton's Oxford News Agency, which had been appointed to supply news to the new BBC Radio Oxford in 1970. It was the beginning of a long association with the BBC. In August 1972, he married Carolyn Harvey in Wallingford. He was sent on attachment for six months to BBC Radio Birmingham, based at Pebble Mill. Shortly after the birth of his son, Simon, in 1982, Mr Woodcock was appointed programme organiser at BBC Radio Oxford and moved to Black Borton and then to Whitney. In 1993, he left the BBC and started a media consultancy company called Media Matters. In 1997, he met Jean Hodgson, who would be his partner until he died on April the 9th. In 2011, Mr Woodcock was diagnosed with mouth cancer. He survived by Jean, his partner of 25 years, son Simon and granddaughter Polly. Two Oxfordshire contestants are going up against each other in the hope of being crowned Miss England. Current Miss Oxfordshire, 24-year-old Alex Evangelou and Miss Cotswold's Rihanna Cartier, age 17, are among the 45 finalists. Oxford Brooks University student Miss Evangelou recently stood as an independent candidate in the Oxford City Council elections. She's just finished her exams for her second year studying social work. Rihanna, who lives in Kingham, 
got to the finals in a wild card round. She's studying for a real estate diploma. The Miss England finals are in Coventry on June 24th. The winner will go to the 70th Miss World Contest in Puerto Rico. Well, that's all we've got time for. So please remove the memory stick from the playback unit and close the metal shield. And please remember to reverse the plastic address label on the yellow pouch before you post it back to us. Could you do that, please, as soon as possible? Because we sometimes run out of labels and pouches and are then unable to continue our service to you. And remember that if you wish to contact us, just leave a slip of paper in your pouch and then we will ring you back. Now, it only remains for me to thank the Whitney Gazette for the stories we've used tonight. Thanks to our technical expert, Peter Brading, and to our copiers doing a double shift tonight. That's Peter and Anne. And they're going to be copying the memory sticks. And also to our volunteers who've been checking the pouches and the memory sticks that you've returned and keeping records of this in our register. They were Shirley Rawlings and Lynn Harding. And finally, our two readers this evening, that was Anne and Nigel. And I know that we would all like to say stay well and goodbye. And so until our next edition, goodbye. Bye.